Since 1911, when Swiss psychiatrist Eugene Bleuler first used the term autism, our understanding of the condition has been ever-evolving. Doctors have been using tools like the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, better known as the DSM, to diagnose mental disorders among children and adults. There have been several editions of the DSM since the 1950s. The most recent edition, DSM-5, was released in May 2013. As medical professionals get a better understanding of autism spectrum disorder, they are looking for ways to standardize the autism diagnosis. You're listening to ReachMD. I'm Paul Rakuski, your host, and with me today is Sven Bulta, PhD, Head of Pediatric Neuropsychiatry Unit and Director of the Center of Neurodevelopmental Disorders at Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. Welcome, Dr. Bulta. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a psychologist by training. Um, I studied in, in Frankfurt, um, and um, after my studies, I started um, in academic and clinical child psychiatry at the Goethe University uh, in Frankfurt, and I worked there for about 10 years, where I also did my PhD and became an um, uh, associate professor, worked mostly in the field of neurodevelopmental uh, disorders, um, and then later I I switched to the Center for Mental Health in, uh, in, in Heidelberg in Germany, and now I'm, since 2010, I'm Professor for Child and Adolescent Psychiatric Science here at Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, and I'm heading um, the Center for Neurodevelopmental Disorders. So since we're talking about autism, can you give us a brief history about the diagnosis criteria used in the past? Autism has been described for quite a long time. It began in the 20s, but then it got more attention um, during the 40s, mostly because of there were two descriptions, one by Leo Kenner and one by Hans Asperger. Um, and then um, autism was um, kind of viewed more like infantile um, psychosis or schizophrenia for a long time. But then it came uh, in the 80s, uh, beginning with DSM-3 uh, and ICD-9, it actually got uh, also um, the term was uh, used um, autism in different ways to categorize um, autism and since then it's actually kind of um, out there uh, and the definition has changed a little bit uh, through the years just two years ago we became the newest diagnostic criteria from um, from the DSM-5 from the American Psychiatric Association we are waiting for the new criteria from the WHO the ICD-11 and there are some, some major changes um, uh, compared to before, mostly that autism now is, is viewed uh, part um, of, a, of a spectrum, and then also it's viewed part of a, of a larger category called the neurodevelopmental disorders. Um, so, um, but one, one change that has occurred is also that people now look, even in those diagnostic manuals, more also on, on functioning, not so much only on altered or um, uh, deviant behaviors, which was the focus before. So now there's also a shift to look more at aspects of severity and aspects of how, um, how much impact does um, that behavior have on everyday life. And that's what I'm interested in. So what are the current ways to conceptualize behavioral problems? In general, you could look at behavior from three different perspectives. You can look at it in terms of altered, kind of deviant, um, atypical behaviors. You can look at it from the perspective of 
of functioning. So how much can a person do in everyday life? Um, how, how well does a person in everyday life, kind of at home, at work, in school, and so forth? And then the, the third perspective is, is kind of the, how the individual, him or herself, in experiences um, his behavior, so the aspect of, of quality of life. And these are all three very important aspects. But um, the diagnostic criteria at the moment mostly focus still on descriptions of atypical or abnormal uh, behavior. So, um, so, but there is a certain shift from, from that um, to functioning and also to quality of life. But the, but the large diagnostic manuals still, they have a certain focus on the first aspect, on the deviant um, uh, impaired behavior. So I know a lot of the research you're working on is around ability to function. Why is that so important in future diagnosis criteria? Well, I guess um, it's important for, for, for a lot of reasons. The first is we, um, we know that actually a diagnostic category is, is, is not particularly individual. So, so um, a diagnosis, for instance, of autism spectrum disorder, that can mean uh, kind of a huge variety of things. So it can mean that you actually have very huge difficulties uh, in, with life, but you can also have kind of very, very mild difficulties. And the other thing is that, that the diagnostic category does not only mean um, that something is not working. You can actually have autism and you can have a range of, of, of skills too. And um, so, so if we look at functioning, we have the opportunity to individualize and we also have the opportunity to stress um, actually what people can do and can not do. So these are two major things. The other is um, I think when we talk about functioning, we can also reduce um, the stigma for people. So I think people can always uh, talk easier about if what a person can do and not do in everyday life in quite concrete situations. Um, it's, it's a lot more difficult and a lot more controversial also to talk about if a person fulfills certain diagnostic criteria. So that's, that's another point. Um, I, I could go on, I think, talk about functioning in everyday life is also a lot more, it's easier for communication, um, communication between a lot of different players, uh, stakeholders in society, and that's something that we can talk easier about. Um, it's easier to understand than talking about medical or psychological uh, terms. And I think the, the last thing is um, also, it, it, it's probably also less, it's less controversial uh, in general. Um, and um, we, we'll have it, we will have it easier to actually, when, when, we, when we make an assessment of functioning in its certain domains, it's a lot easier than to proceed to know exactly where the priorities are in terms of support and what a person might need in terms of help. And intervention, and and also in terms of maybe costs that this um, is associated with. So, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Reach MD. I'm your host, Paul Rakuski, and I'm speaking with Dr. Sven Volta. We're talking about the efforts to standardize the autism spectrum diagnosis. So, I want to change gears a little bit and start talking about the uh, international multidisciplinary effort you were involved with, looking to establish a core set for autism. So, who was involved in that? It's mostly um, a collaboration between the WHO, so the World Health Organization. Then there is um, the so-called WHO Research Branch, which is located um, in Switzerland. Um, then it's my center here. We are the ones who 
initiated, uh, especially this development, and who also um, got the grant uh, from um, a collection of Swedish foundations to do so. Then we have um, a so-called steering committee, which is a com composition of about 10 international respected experts in the field. Um, and then there are lots of different uh, centers and labs and clinicians uh, and researchers around the world involved for the certain studies that we did. We did four uh, preparatory studies. And um, so in those, a lot of different people from all over the world were involved. So what were the results of this effort? So um, there is, there's a standardized procedure how you should do that. It means you, you first have to conduct a systematic review. Uh, that's a certain technique in, in science where you look at the whole complete um, scientific literature that is out there and you summarize that. Then you, we have done an interna kind of international um, expert survey where you, where you ask different questions about functioning to a large range of international experts. We had more than 200. Then you do focus groups. So that means you invite people on the spectrum, their relatives, their teachers, personal assistants, and you do interviews with the people in the group and also individual, what they think are the most important aspects of functioning or ability and disability and autism. And finally, you make a clinical study. That means you look at a lot of different, actually, people who are diagnosed with autism and you look what they can do in everyday life and what their strengths and weaknesses are. And all of those you put together and you present those data uh, to other experts in the field during a consensus conference. And then they look which are the most important aspects of functioning in autism. And um, the, the core of this development is that you, that you start in the beginning with more than 1,600 different categories or ways to look at functioning dysfunction in autism, and you try to reduce those 1,600 to the most important ones. So, and we started with 1,600, and now we have um, the so-called comprehensive course that has about 110 of those categories left. So it's a huge effort to just to reduce um, uh, what's in the beginning in the international classification system of the WHO, the ICF. You try to reduce those uh, in a uh, kind of scientific way to the most important ones. So we have 110 and not 1,600 to describe uh, functioning in autism. And, um, and then you can also, for, for, for other, um, for certain settings in research and clinical settings, you, you can go to, to smaller ones. So, but you have a maximum of 110 categories, which is more doable than 1,600. So with these 110 categories that you've narrowed it down from the 1,600, how will this core set help doctors and clinicians diagnose ASD accurately in the future? Yeah. So I think what people will do in the future is um, they, will, they will continue to use um, the DSM or the ICD uh, first to, to diagnose um, a person to a certain kind of medical or psychological category, and then probably, hopefully, will go on and use this selection of, um, of categories from the ICF, from the International Classification of Functioning, uh, to go on to make a kind of a more individual assessment what those what people with a diagnosis can do in everyday life, what they cannot do, where their strengths are, when their weaknesses are. And this will make it um, easier for them kind of to communicate, um, I guess, um, 
what uh, one individual needs um, and maybe not needs, uh, what the associated costs will be, uh, do all the intervention and treatment planning. So it will be more individualized, it will be better for communication, um, all these things that I said to you in the beginning too. So um, I guess it will have more individualized perspective on the strengths and weaknesses of a person and not only go for a diagnosis because a diagnostic label in itself is not telling us so much about a certain individual. So since autism is very individual-based with a diagnosis, how will this new course set benefit individuals with autism? I think um, they will get an idea that they themselves as individuals are looked at in a more appropriate way because it's not only looking at their deficits, it's also looking at what they actually can uh, can do, where their strengths are. I guess um, that will be quite valuable for them. They will receive probably uh, more individualized uh, support because, um, as I said, a label of autism can mean a lot, uh, but if you do an individual assessment of of skills um, or disabilities, um, you have you can make a better plan for individual help. So I think they they will on one hand um, get an assessment um, that they can accept better because it's probably quite quite tailored to their to their person, and they will um, probably get thereafter um, a better support that's more tailored to their needs and their wishes. Well, thank you, Dr. Bolta, for speaking with us today. Thank you. My thanks again to my guest, Sven Bolta, Ph.D., head of the Pediatric Neuropsychiatry Unit and director of the Center for Neurodevelopmental Disorders at Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. We've been discussing autism spectrum disorder. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring podcasts of this and other series. I've been your host, Paul Rakuski, and thank you for listening to ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.